when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Weeks after the initial outbreak in rural Pennsylvania, four people make a daring escape from the city and come across an unlikely refuge, a massive indoor mall. It is here that Peter, Roger, Fran, and Stephen make their stand at the dawn of the dead. I'm Josh Allred. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Kayla Jay. And welcome to Filmgasm. <laughs> Happy Wednesday and Happy New Year, and welcome to the first episode of the Filmgasm podcast of 2023. And it's a special one for me. As mentioned in the intro, we're talking about what is, to me, George Romero's best of all his zombie films, Dawn of the Dead. After the unexpected success in 1968 of Night of the Living Dead, Romero did not want to rush out and make a sequel right away. In the years between Night and Dawn, he made There's Always Vanilla in 1971, Season of the Witch and the Crazies, 73, The Amusement Park, 75, and his take on the vampire mythos, Martin, which released in 1977. It was around this time that Romero hung out with some of his friends, Mark and Marna Mason, who were owners of the newly built Monroeville Mall. Mark boasted to George that you could live there in the event of a nuclear disaster as there was an entire upper level where one could hole up. This place and the idea of people being held up somewhere that had everything they could need was the genesis for what would become Dawn of the Dead. There's just one other thing they needed to get this movie made, and that was money. And that came from across the pond in the form of two people, Alfredo Cuomo who distributed the crazies in Italy, and Dario Argento. The Suspiria director put up the initial money that got the project going. Later, the two would go on to collaborate on Two Evil Eyes, which saw both directors take on stories from Edgar Allan Poe. And if you haven't seen that, I highly suggest you check it out. Sitting with a score of 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, there is no question that this is a great film. Even if this didn't have a critical consensus, I would still be banging the drum for this movie. Not to mention, upon its release, it made, depending upon where you're seeing the numbers, upwards of $66 million off a $425,000 budget. So, my question to you guys is, what would be your ideal place to make your stand in a burgeoning zombie apocalypse? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've thought about this, uh, quite a lot. Uh, and I always go back to Costco. I dig it. Yeah. They got everything in bulk. It's a big place. Warehouse doors. Like that's where I'd go. I feel like you can hold up for quite a while in, in a Costco. Sure. Um, for me, like it has to have certain criteria. One or two exits to take care of. Food, water, and maybe a comfortable place to sleep. Because if you are going to be there for a while, you probably want to put your head down somewhere nice. Yeah. You know, you can always do a uh, little uh, bird bath, whatever. You don't need showers. 
but yeah, that's 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 kind of the criteria. I think a mall is perhaps ideal. I don't know. Um, just depends on like what the mall really has. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do you think, Caleb? I think more back in the day would be great. Not now with all the malls closing and stuff and losing shops. It might suck now, but uh, I'm gonna go with a castle if you can find one with a moat. <laughs> so you're gonna go medieval? Yeah, exactly. Huge I was not place. expecting that. All right, elaborate. Exactly. Huge plate. The moat is interchangeable. Do you want to fill it with waters and alligators? Sure, go for it. Do you want to put spikes in it? I love what they were doing, like the fucking later seasons of the Evil Dead, with their places. You can do that too. You can do where, whatever you want with it. Where are you getting all these crocodiles? That, don't worry about that part. <laughs> That's a minor detail. Obviously, minor, look, man, is this castle was, in Florida. Like, how's this working? I out? was look. I went to college for two years in Florida. I'm born in East Texas. I will wrestle a gator. <laughs> I would pay to don't see. Don't forget. That. Don't forget his Cajun heritage. You know. You know. There's some gator fighting fuckers in his family. Yeah. <laughs> You know, awaken that latent muscle memory and just take those gators down. I would love to see. Yeah. That. I mean, what if that did happen? You guys just see me as soon as we go to like a swamp for some reason. I'm just like, get on over here, gator. I mean, look at the guy. He has gator fighter ridden all over him. Totally, I buy it at least once. Yeah, <laughs> at least <laughs> once. <laughs> Deep down, like hidden in my closets, like my Cajun attire, which is like a wife beater, dirty ass jeans. I All haven't right. seen him. I haven't seen him come out of the of of the of his bedroom with that yet. So it's probably in there somewhere. It's hot. So you're, so you're gonna find a castle with a moat, fill it with gators, and just wait. Yeah. Okay. My castle will be stuck because along the way you get supplies, <laughs> you get entertainment, and then yeah, you just live your life. Is the entertainment some like poor sap you kidnapped to like dance for you? Don't worry about that part. <laughs> or probably. Definitely. 100%. Dancing for me. I'm in a row on one of the areas that face outside, just kicking it back and just throwing things at zombies. Okay. Well, you win for creativity. Yeah. No, you you totally surprised me with that. I was not expecting that. I had a couple of ideas from like what, what you might do. It's like, I'll just I'll just stay at home. I got everything I need here. I'm not gonna lie, it crossed my mind to just stay home. <laughs> but you guys would have expected that. So I was like, and you go with something unexpected and the castle pops in my head immediately. Well, if I the way I see it is it all depends on where this ends up happening. If it's if I if the, the apocalypse happens while I'm here, I'm going to Costco. If it happens while I'm in the UK, I want to be somewhere familiar, I want to know where the exits are, and I want to be allowed to smoke. So I'm going to the Winchester. Fair enough. I mean, nothing nothing bad happened there, so you got you got a solid idea. Yeah, actually, I think there is something you said, and realistically, those places that have like the business at the the first floor, but then the homes on the second. If you can find one of those places, because then you know you can have your you can play an escape route somehow from the second floor. A lot of times they have like back entrances to those, and you can have like a place you live, and then whatever supplies you got at the bottom. When I lived in Maryland, we lived right next to a decommissioned military base, uh, Fort Ritchie. And my uncle's game plan, because he's the biggest Romero fan I've ever known. He grew, he watched Dawn of the Dead religiously as a child. And uh, his zombie plan was go to the base and go to the bunker that was under the base and just 
waited out. Like he had legitimately like it written out, like, you know, go to like if shit gets real, go to the bunker, get stock up, get shit going. Like he had a real plan. Well, I mean, that's what they did in Day of the Dead. So yeah, that, he recreated uh, Rhodes's death scene with his friends uh, and a, a mattress and like fake blood. He filmed it on like an old camera. Like wow. he loved this shit, man. Like he's the reason like I, you know, discovered Romero. <laughs> I need to see this. Your uncle needs to share this. <laughs> I don't know if it's in the home movies, but I will check because I want to see this too. Yeah, I mean, he, you can't, you can't say you did it and be like, and then I don't know where it is. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know where it is, you, and you need to show this. I do that all the time, though. Yeah, but you do that about a lot of things. It's for pretty much everything. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I really know you that well. <laughs> like, you could be, you could be lying the whole time. I wouldn't know. Keeping you on your toes. <laughs> like I would love it just one day you just drop like you drop a whole new accent, like that's your real voice. <laughs> like this whole time you're like from Norway or some shit. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be a little embarrassed, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> he secretly comes out that he's he's Dutch and he sounds like fucking gold member. <laughs> <laughs> I love gold. Who are you? I'm a completely new person. I believe it. You're the you're our wild card. Wild Very card, true. bitches. Very true. No, I'm okay with that. All right. So we have we, we have our place. Now, who do you think you would want to have around you? Let's just say you could pick a couple of people. Who would you want to have around you? Because sometimes you don't have that choice, as we've seen in like a lot of these movies. You, you you don't get a choice. But let's just say we could we we could pick who we could have around us, like people we know or like archetypes. Um, let's go let's go archetypes, so we don't uh, so we don't uh, you know burn any bridges or offend family members. <laughs> That's a good idea. None of my family's listening to this, but go on. I well, want no, first. Go for it. Go go, Caleb. Go ahead, man. What? Yep. Oh. You Whoa. put yourself in this hot seat. Go for it. <laughs> I need time to think. <laughs> no. Let's All right. I definitely want to be you guys. We already said that. Archetypes. Think about types of people you would want to have. You're talking about like a scavenger, a fighter, all that good stuff. We talking about. <laughs> yes. Yes, that oh. is a type of person. <laughs> so someone like Rick Grimes. I don't think you understand the assignment. <laughs> That's why I don't want to go first. I was waiting. You can't right. pick like fictional characters. Oh, okay. Connor, go ahead. I want the duplicitous redneck scavenger with a crossbow who becomes my brother. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Uh, I would want uh some soldiers. Uh I would want uh I want some some Eagle Scouts. Just in case. They only know how to tie ropes. They're not helping you. Well, maybe I need some ropes tied to like fend off the undead. I don't know. But as someone that was a Boy Scout, they're not going to be helpful. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um. Hmm. I guess I would. I would want like a like a Walter White kind of chemistry guy, like a science whiz who could help me kind of restart. You know, get some get some plants going. Get some. Some greenhouses up and running, get some, you know, water purification systems going up and getting up. Because I don't know what I'm going to bring to the table, frankly. What am I going to do? Podcast everybody back to life? I don't know. You're going to be the storyteller. 
Oh, okay. Everybody, every village needs a storyteller. <laughs> all right, I'll take um, that. All right, so if I had to choose my crew, I would I would have to have somebody mechanically inclined, somebody that has like a functional understanding of like electronics, cars, that kind of thing. Um, somebody who does have like a, an agricultural background, um, somebody who probably knows how to forage, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe like some, uh, some kind of like lonery type people, you know, somebody that like, if they went missing, you wouldn't really care. Or if they like got hurt and fell down, you're like, Oh no, we'll think about you. And then you run the other way while there is zombie food. Cause for me, it's always about planning for the inevitability that you might not have this place forever. Because as we find out with this movie, you have something, somebody else is going to want it. So you just want zero emotional attachment. Any of these guys, you can let go at a moment's notice and not feel that bad about it. That's Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Because, you know, it, it's all about survival at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my hardest not to have any, uh, any emotional attachments. Because, uh, yeah, that just uh, that gets you killed. I'm going to make sure all of my team are like way fatter than me. Yeah, so of course. If I ever need to outrun any of them, I easily could. And especially, you know, the larger they are, the longer they, you know, the longer they're a snack. Yeah, exactly. They're all just, you know, landmines, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Walking feeding troughs. I I would also want a like a gourmet chef who can, you know, make masterpieces out of like, you know, like you know dried seeds and like a cube steak or some shit i don't know somebody who can add some flair to the day fair enough fair enough have you had have you had time to think a little bit yeah no you weren't thinking at all were no, you? i wasn't yeah uh, shocker <laughs> i was mostly just listening uh <laughs> don't ever put me into crew if the zombie apocalypse happens well, I think we have established that by now. Yeah, don't worry. That won't happen. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Thanks. You're going to be the guy in the first act who answers the door and gets eaten to prove the situation is serious. I'm going to remember this when shit goes down. See if I help you guys out. <laughs> uh, no, I, I probably want someone that used to be like in uh, some kind of security or armed forces or something. You know, someone that's good with weapons and guns and stuff like that in case we need to help uh, defend um against something human or otherwise um also yeah you know kind of going like the boy scouts on something that's a forger that is good with the land can get his places um help kind of and then uh i think more like architect type that can maybe help get a like some kind of some kind of town or something to start like you kind of seen the later seasons of um the walking dead um with alexandria and stuff like that someone that kind of has like i know if i'll get some kind of town going and a semblance of the back, if you will. I want to also try to stock my team with people with low self-esteem so no one tries to, like, usurp my leadership. Oh, that's yeah, of course. They have to see you as God. That just gets you one step closer to Negan and have a harem of women. Oh, is that not clear? I am going full Negan day one. <laughs> like, I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for the for the clock to run out, frankly. Like, let's <laughs> let's do this. I got a baseball bat. Like in my closet, I can make that thing a barbed wire bat in 
No problem at all. Just, just waiting for the day. You have thought way too much about this, Connor. It scares me. <laughs> I do wonder, like, am I going to be like, you know, who am I going to be when that when that happens? Like, am I going to am I going to go full warlord or what? Like, there's not a lot of options. You either you become a survivalist or you die. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I think I think what is what is interesting about this movie is that it's it's early enough in the timeline that because I because I did look at it to where like the the movies are set like this is still early enough in the timeline where people are still they're still holding on to the 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 structures of society that are going to wind up just collapsing and what you find in Day of the Dead like they're 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 still trying to hold on to. But here it's it's this weird like in between point where the the cities are falling. Everybody is like like there's a there's that scene in the newsroom where the 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 director or whatever of the broadcast is like yelling at people to do their jobs. And he's yelling at the guy who's the cop and he like looks at him and he watches these people walk out and he's like, fuck this takes his jacket and he walks out. And it's like everybody is starting to have that moment where they say no, I'm fucking done with this. I'm out. Fuck this shit. And you have Steven coming up to Fran and he's like, hey, I'm about to get this helicopter. We're going to go meet these two cops and we're getting the hell out of here. Like, we're, we have to leave now. Like, we have to leave now. And then you see these little moments of like bartering and shit where they're down by the docks and these cops are like, hey, man, you got some cigarettes? Oh, you got some cigarettes? Like, hell no, I don't have any cigarettes. And then what's the fucking shit that you see when everybody gets into the helicopter? everybody's pulling out cigarettes you know it's like everybody's already at that point where they're fending for themselves for like the 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 little the littlest thing it's like cigarettes it's like fuck you no i don't have a cigarette man like that was one of the annoying things when i used to smoke and i would be out somewhere some of the hey man you got a cigarette i'm like yeah you got a lighter like no i'm like well i don't have a cigarette then i don't tell you man fuck off and let's keep on going but that is um these little things that romero does in this movie where he shows you, doesn't tell you, he shows you how people are reacting to this catastrophe. And I think that is something that Romero does with a lot of his movies, but in particular, his zombie movies. I always use the analogy when I'm when I'm thinking about his movies is that like he holds up a mirror and he shows us what we're going to do in this situation. And he... He even makes the uh, he makes the analogy that like he sees the mall even in 1977, as he calls it a temple of consumerism. Like even then, this was like one of the first indoor malls in all of the United States, and he like he saw it for what it was. And there was a uh, there's a quote I saw from him in an interview where. He basically just says that, like, you know, the the things that we hold dear, this stuff, it's like in the end, when you're dead, it doesn't fucking matter. You know, it's 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 in it's trivial when you're just trying to survive. But the zombies themselves are still flocking to this thing. It's like a, they're, they're like moths to a flame. This thing represents something that and they even say it in the movie, you know, it's like, oh, they're just coming here because it's it it means something to them like it's it's hardwired in us to be these creatures of consumption and 
as much as like yes on the face of this is just a zombie movie it's bloody it's it's funny at points but it's also like like Romero does wonderfully with a lot of his movies he's he's weaving that social commentary in there and I think that's one of the reasons why this movie still to this day it's almost what it's over 40 years old like it's things what 45 years old this Mm -hmm. year like it still is relevant and I don't know how you guys feel about it or like when you first watched it if you got those things or if it was something that you either you watched it and then you like did a little bit of reading about it. And then you looked at it again. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's all there. Because Romero even says it. He says, I'm not being subtle. You know, Night of Living Dead was subtle. You know, he was he was being very subtle, even though you look at it now. and You're like, no, nah, it's pretty fucking obvious. But like with Dawn of the Dead, he is just straight slapping you in the face with all of this. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I when I first saw this, it was at a pretty young age. At the time, I was just like, zombies, woo. But then I, you know, watched it again and again and again, read stuff and was like, oh, okay, so the only thing that's changing here is the definition of the word consumption. Uh, and yeah, it's, I love that Romero did that. He uses the mall and the zombies as, you know, a metaphor for just like where we're going as a society. And by the time day rolls around, we're just so like fucked that there's no way back. And then by land, we're doing the same, exactly the same shit again. <laughs> we're just, it's just a different animal now. Um uh, yeah, I thought I've always thought that was brilliant. He he was the best at that. Yeah, uh, to me when I remember when I first watched this because I was when I was getting a lot of horror films, especially like these classics, I hadn't seen like things like Wikipedia and like other sites became my friend where I would look up like the production and stuff as a means to kind of read into it. So I had seen on there where it talked about like the social commentary, and again, you know, no one coming. I know it's Wikipedia, but hey, I was young, trying to consume information on movies i didn't own and you know all that good stuff um so i kind of had an ideal going in and then when i watched it i got a good chunk but you know i was young so it's not like everything was like oh my god um but obviously as i got older i've I've definitely been able to see it more and more with the consumer consumerism and like i said what you know what's fine to me is that you know at the time so you could people could argue try to say like his social commentary on this is outdated because it's a ball and i would actually say like yeah we've malls aren't what they used to be kind of like when this phone came out and they were like you went there and it was like people went there for like a whole day because oh my god we can do all this shopping in one place and it has a food court and a theater and all this exciting stuff it's just simply been replaced with fucking amazon like yeah. amazon's become the online fucking mall now it has everything um with that and then also i want to point out you mentioned with the zombies it always kind of cracks me up when you watch a lot of newer zombie films and Stuff like that, and you hear them be like, "Yeah, we're making Romero zombies," and what they mean is they're making slow-moving zombies. They forget the part that I've noticed as I've gotten older, and especially once I read um about two years ago now, *The Living Dead*, the recent book, um that they helped finish that he had started. That he actually does something with zombies I've ne- I don't really see other artists do, and that is that they hold on to a bit of their humanity in very subtle ways, whether it be a night. Dawn, day, you know, land, so on, land especially is probably the biggest one that mm-hmm. like hits you on the head with that ideal. Yeah. But he has them retain by their humanity and actually start to kind of get human functions back. And in Living Dead, it's a there's really cool stuff he does with that in Living Dead. Really neat stuff. Well, I think a lot of that comes from also the way he treated the zombie actors. He kind of let them, he gave them a lot of free reign to like create their own zombies, which gives every zombie their own personality in Romero's films. And I always loved that. Like he didn't tell them this is how a zombie acts do this. He told them act like a zombie. 
So everybody's a little different in their interpretation. And I, that's, I think, the root of that kind of, you know, retaining a little bit of themselves. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was great. Nobody else does that or ever did that. Well, yeah, I mean, he um, he was very famous for for telling people that. And he even I was watching uh, one of the documentaries on the second site set that I have. And he was like, when David Emge comes out after he's been turned, he was like, I never would have been able to come up with what he did, like what he his performance as a zombie is amazing. He was totally blown away by it. It was like it was it was fantastic. He's like, I couldn't have even asked him to do that. And that was something he always stressed in all of his zombie movies. It's like, you're a zombie. Just just do what you think a zombie would do. And everybody has their own spin on it. You know, some people do the shambling with your arms out and shit like that. And other people just fucking stare and walk around like they have no idea where they're at, you know, and everybody puts themselves into it. Like Caleb was saying, it's like they still have some part of their humanity deep inside somewhere. And then you see this, like, it's this weird thing where like, it's a dead body that evolves somehow. So like, by the time we get to land of the dead, it's like, what the, you know, like they they can communicate with each other. They can coordinate and they can fucking overtake a fucking city. And it's like, it's, it's impressive. And yes, I do highly recommend if you haven't read it, Connor, the living dead is really, really good. It's, Mm. I like, there were parts of it that like I was cringing at, but that's more, more because it, it was, it, it was a, a whole, se- well, no, it was like that whole section on the aircraft carrier and the whole, oh, okay, so yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, no, that's yeah. not what happens. It's not what happens. But I had to push that aside and just take the story for what it was. And I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I, and I really enjoyed it t- towards the end. Like I didn't want to finish it. I took me like two weeks to finish the book because this was it. Like this is like the last zombie story George Romero has. And I like, I I kept I kept myself from finishing it. And by the time I finished it, I kind of like I got I shed a tear. I was just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is it. This is the last bit that we're gonna get from George Romero ever. And I'm 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 done with it. But the great thing about it is his movies are still there, the books, you know, like mm-hmm. all of that stuff is still here and you can still revisit it. And I think Dawn of the Dead is one of those movies I've watched more than any of them, mostly because it is it is it's fun and it takes you on a ride but like you're also you're also kind of like watching these people live a fantasy because how many of us haven't had that thought when you're watching this movie it's like well hell yeah i would do that hell yeah i'd slide down an escalator are you fucking crazy like of course i'm gonna go to the bank and take out all the money and then i'm gonna go play cards with it and shit like of course you're gonna do that to to their credit like when i'm watching them take over the mall i'm like this is actually kind of smart like the way they set up that lower area and even about a wall to hide it and they made it into like the lower area and like yeah why wouldn't again at that time why wouldn't you want to take over a mall like they had everything it had food it had entertainment it had clothes it had supplies like they had a fucking gun store and the goddamn thing like it had everything like yeah, every time i watch them like yeah no this is something i would probably do if i could yeah absolutely i, I love the scene where they you know start gathering supplies and uh they go into the like the department store and they're just like <laughs> like running around laughing like look at it's all ours it's like we can take whatever we want like yeah that's the first thing i do like as soon as the world ends i'm gonna go steal as many movies as i can find and just hold up why not <laughs> what 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 else you got going on yeah all right um so 
we'll we'll backtrack a little bit only because I think it's interesting like how they shot the movie. And so they did this in two different phases. And the filming began in the latter part of 1977. Uh, the two phases were uh, pre and post Christmas. Um, I think they got the mall for around like $40,000. But that was just to, to film in the building. The next hurdle they had to cross was getting agreements from each owner of the store in the mall. Some some owners didn't want their storefront associated with a horror movie at all. They were like, no, don't even show our sign. Don't do it. And for for the most part, most of them were were game. That's why you see a lot of them all in that movie. Um, the biggest one that let them have fun, which is why it's, you know, part of the most iconic shot of the movie where um, Ken Forey delivers the line, you know, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. It's J.C. Penney's. And they allowed them to go inside um, and do whatever they uh, anything they took, they would catalog. And if they broke it, they paid for it, all of that. And they did this from when the mall closed until the mall opened back up. So they had to be done by like in between. I think it was like nine is when they started setting up dressing zombies until like six in the morning when a group of senior citizens who were going to use the mall for exercise because there are a bunch of cardiac patients were going through there to walk and have exercise in the morning and they even got some of them to be zombies in the movie they kept seeing them so much they're like hey do you guys want to get dressed up and be zombies and walk around they're like oh yeah sure why not so like some of the zombies are some of these old folks who are just there to get some exercise um are there are there any zombies in the crowd that are holding like the tiny dumbbells and just like walking around and exercise. I don't, I don't know. You, I you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some eagle eyed person that's probably pointed something out um, or maybe like saw their great grandfather or some shit in there, but they did this for nine and a half weeks. So the only time they didn't film was during Christmas because it would have been a huge pain in the ass to try and take down all the Christmas decorations oh. and then put them back out every night. So they just in between, like when Christmas happened, all the footage they shot before then, Romero took it, and I think they shot in 35 millimeter, and then they reduced it to 16, so Romero could take the footage, watch it, and he was editing the film in between then, and looking at what he had, and the question he asked me was like, does anybody want to see this? Like, is anybody going to want to watch this? And he didn't, he, he knew the movie that he wanted to make, but he wasn't sure what they were getting was going to turn out what we have. Um, and people were satisfied. Like everybody that was seeing it was like, no, this is really great. You know, I, I think we really got something. And they finished up in the latter part of, uh, like post Christmas. Uh, at one point, I think somebody was telling a story. I think it was Ken Forey. He said that they were going to go leave shooting and they couldn't leave because they were snowed in. The snow was so deep that they couldn't get out. And so they just, sat in there the jack daniels they're drinking in that in the movie it's jack daniels in there they were really getting hammered <laughs> they had nothing else to do um tom savini told the story uh a girlfriend he had at the time uh it was late and they couldn't leave so they the area that they had used for their like zombie prep area they found a closet they went in there to go to sleep they didn't realize it the next day people got back in 
and they were doing some like board of directors meeting in there <laughs> and Tom Savini and his girlfriend walk out and everybody's like oh what were you doing in there and they ended up getting yelled at and shit for it and blah 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 but you know <laughs> little things like that were going on and they had nine and a half weeks to do that so you think about it that's you know what 40 40 days something like that like that's 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 a lot but then it's also an independent movie so like that was something else that is i've i've always been i've always found the most admirable about george romero is that he made a lot of his movies outside of the studio system because he wanted to have control he wanted to have the people that he knew around him because a lot of his shoots were like basically like just getting his friends and family together. It happened in Night of the Living Dead. It got all the way through to the movies in between. Um, Arrow had put those movies together in a set called Between Night and Dawn. So they had like, there's always Vanilla, The Crazies, and uh, Season of the Witch um, all together. And that was a box set that they put together. And then obviously you have Dawn of the Dead. Um, And so... (laughs) He always wanted to make sure that he could do the things. And like you think about the, the the two studio movies he made, one of them was The Dark Half. The other one was Land of the Dead. And as much as he as much as he liked the movie he got out of it, he didn't like the aspects of production in Land of the Dead. You know, he didn't like all the baggage that came with some of the actors. Um, he was like, you know, does Dennis Hopper need these cigars? You know, like for for all of the other things he's like we could have got five more days of shooting out of all the other extra stuff that you know they made him do because it was the studio calling the shots and that's why he worked largely outside of that stuff um in terms of like independent filmmaking george romero is like one of the kings of that um if you haven't seen it his movie night riders is basically all about that it's all about that I um a few years ago I went to a uh, screening at Alamo Draft House of the film Effects and um the the director of the movie the producer and then Tom Savini were all in attendance and they did a Q&A and a signing afterwards and I that day had bought Night Riders on DVD at half price books and I left it in the car cuz I didn't know there was going to be a signing I thought it was just a Q&A and I would have I wish I'd had that with me because I could have gotten Savini's signature on that thing. Oh yeah, damn it. But yeah, I've seen about half of Night Riders. I I like it a lot. I love the concept of just you know biker King Arthur weirdness. That's such a cool idea. Um, it's interesting, you know, Romero's like yeah, his whole independent film thing and the logistics of filming inside a like a working mall. You don't think about like all the crazy hoops you go through trying to make that work. And the limited times at film. And I didn't think about like having to get the okay of all the stores in the mall, too. I never thought about that. That's crazy. I mean, yes. That's commitment. Like, well done. And that he pulled off not only, you know, a, a film, but a great film. Like, props. That's fucking great. Yeah. The, uh, so an, another interesting thing, like in terms of the production, um, all of the fluorescent lights in the mall were changed in order to be the right uh basically give off the right temperature of light so that they could shoot the movie and they stayed up the entire time that they had them all and like basically like 
the whole phases of production, even through Christmas, they kept the lights up. So they never had to like change them out or do anything. And that was, again, that's these like these little details, but like, and not only that, they were doing a lot of this with very little experience. Um, the director of photography, Michael Gornick, he said that like, yeah, like we, you know, we, we were used to shooting on 16 millimeter and we got a book like how to shoot in 35 millimeter and like, like, okay, we'll get this camera. This is where you load it. And they were literally learning as they were doing it. Keep that in mind as you're watching the thing that you're watching. And then you understand like that movie lived inside Romero's head. And he knew he, if he had the right people around him, he could get this done. Uh, shortly after Martin, he called Savini and was like, you got to start thinking of ways to kill people. That was his call to Savini for Dawn of the Dead. It's like, you got to start figuring it out. That's great. Uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, Caleb, what are your thoughts on, you know, just Romero's independent uh, way of filmmaking? I, I love it. Um, when you think, to me, it's always been like, when you think of like, icons not just of like cinema in general but like really like true independent filmmaking and like just spirit and commitment and all that stuff i, I always think of george Romero at the top of the pack um and it's actually kind of timely because i just watched play night for our space for you know our beyond the bad episode ed wood's another one that like would do whatever it took to get a movie made obviously quality is quite different between the two but <laughs> i hey, love it the two are very similar except you know romero had like he knew what he was doing. <laughs> Edward, all for not, was determined to get a movie made, and I won't take that from him. I, I won't um, either. But you know, well, we'll save that for for yeah. Uh, but uh, show. no, with with Romero, you know, he he like you said, he knew he was he knew how to work on these problems. You know, he didn't view these problems of like, well, we can only film at night for nine and a half weeks. We have to, you know, go ask all these stores if it's okay to film oh we gotta change the lights he didn't view that as like oh that's mine i'm done fuck that that's too much he went no we're gonna get it done we'll yeah. figure it out it's okay we got this yeah. and that's you know, a little obstacle standing in the way of his of his vision and i respect it, that. exactly it's just a little obstacle and um the only time i think we've ever seen that kind of happen when we say no what fuck this i'm done is when he did dabble with um the studios right um because of his experience i think it was lana dead was when he said i'm I'm done with studios i believe yep yep after Lana day he said i'm done for anyone who uh cares to look up a lot of unproduced screenplays that he did especially in the 90s um we could have had a resident evil uh pinned by george a romero he was he wrote a script for resident evil adaptation and just through a lot of studio interference, it didn't happen. He they didn't use the script. I think you can find it. Don't quote me on it, but it, it might be out there to be found. Um, but you know, that's the only time he ever got to a point of like, you know, I'm done. Like I've I've, I've tried it with the big studio thing. It doesn't match with my style. And he just, you know, he went back to his roots. Um, and he just continued to flourish. Uh, from there, he just kept doing his thing and. I respect that, you know, people like him, Kevin Smith, um, he did kind of same thing, right? He he flew over with studio studios for a while before he said, Hey, I'm going back to my indie roots um shortly after cop out. So yeah, I have nothing but the absolute utmost respect and admiration for people like George Aramel, who just like pioneer indie cinema. Um obviously not just for his area of Pennsylvania, right? 
because I know he's obviously a fucking hero for filmmakers there, but just anyone that wants to chase that dream of having a camera and film something, he is an absolute fucking hero. I admire anyone who you know ha- has a vision, oh. wants to do something their way, and just you know does it their way. I respect that big time in all sorts of art, but especially in filmmaking because there's so many hurdles to go through to make that happen, and so many different ways that you could be forced to compromise. And when you stay true to your guns like that and you make something that is wholly yours, nothing but respect. Yeah. And the legacy speaks for itself to me because you look at, you know, and obviously now I'm not going to get into people's feelings on the later part of the dead series when it comes to like land, diary and survival. Yeah. Not, not here to talk about that right now. <laughs> um, but you look at that initial trilogy of night, dawn, and day, and like that's someone you wouldn't let anything get in way of his vision, like you were saying, wouldn't compromise, got it done. And to this day, you know, well over 40 years later and longer for night, um, these movies are considered horror classics. They're horror classic classics of cinema, if you're being completely honest, there's people that don't like horror that know exactly what these films are. Like these films have stood the test in time. And, you know, that's ultimately, you know, what they'll tell you, especially because we live in such a, what's its opening box office numbers? Ward we live in, that's not the fucking tell all of a movie. It's the the legs. And uh, don't quote, that's not my quote. Got that from um, the movie Crip. Listen to a bunch of people they interview. Um, but it's it's the legs that the film has. How long does it last? Well beyond that opening weekend. Damn this right. trilogy, in which George Abraham accomplished, because he want to get his vision across, is a testament to that. Yeah, his films are the gold standard of, you know, zombie uh, zombie films. He's the guy who basically, you know, gave us the undead. And every zombie film after Night of the Living Dead, it was a great debt to Romero. I mean, you know, I'm not the first person to say that, but it's, you know, it needs to keep being said. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I don't remember from the Night of the Living Dead episode if you guys covered this, but like part of what made Romero very efficient in his filmmaking was his experience making commercials and industrial uh movies yeah um that ability to work fast and to already know what you wanted before you shot it that was absolutely critical to every aspect of his filmmaking um and that's why even for a extremely modest budget of $425,000 he made one of the best movies ever. Like I will, I will literally fight people about this. Like people can tell me all the time, "Who's Kid?" Like, no, fuck you, Dawn of the Dead. Um, and that's just my humble opinion. But like, I think, I think for me, like the thing that makes Romero's movies so good is, and and it's something that was that was aped by you know by The Walking Dead and and others that try to like swim in the same lane is the characters you know like he gives you these people and he lets you lets them live and breathe in front of you and like we are we are living vicariously through them as they're as they're doing the things that they're doing um so like when when i mentioned before you have fran who's played by galen ross she this was her first movie she had no acting experience prior to this um she was getting uh she was getting acting lessons and when other people were bringing like shakespeare and hamlet she was bringing lines from dawn of the dead 
and uh, her teacher was like this little Russian lady and she was trying to explain like the scenes that she was bringing in and you know she would tell her like yeah it's a zombie movie and she's like what what is a zombie you know and she's like well it's a dead person that walks around she's like oh oh okay what is the zombie doing now you know and like she's helping her like not being judgmental about you know what the hell are you talking about like actually like giving her really good advice so like you have these little things like that that feed into all of this and then you have tom savini's special effects like and him he is always going to be regarded as one of the greatest special effects fucking guys period and for him it was always about his approach you know for him he had seen real death in vietnam he had seen like the actual horrors of war so like making something he he could make it look as real as possible but he also has like this magic approach to it where it was all about like you know you can see the guy on the bed but you don't know that his head is the only thing that's real you know like fucking from friday the 13th you know like the, all these little and he kept using that same trick too like that's the thing like it worked so well that he kept doing these things but you never could really tell that he was using the same tricks on you because he was packaging them differently um one of the more ludicrous things that he did and it's it's still funny like, every time i watch it is the fucking zombie with the frankenstein head and he's fucking shambling up on the fucking boxes and then he gets his fucking shit zipped off and but and if you look right like yeah you can fucking see it. it's like whoo it just yoink gets pulled right out and it's funny but you're also like holy shit because <laughs> the way it happens like you're not like you're you're expecting it but you're not expecting it. like no nah, they're not going to do they're not going to do that you know um when the when the movie is kicking off and the uh, and uh Roger and fucking uh Peter are storming the apartment complex, like when that first head gets blown up, like the, the gauntlet is thrown down. Like this movie is not fucking around with you. And it lets you know that yeah, you might have some funny moments in this movie, but this movie is going to pull you back into the reality of this world. And it is, and it's unrelenting. Like when the violence hits, the violence hits hard. And Romero talked about that. He said like it was necessary. It wasn't that like he he intentionally goes to like make these gory violent. It's like it's necessary for the story because it's going to contrast for him those more playful moments where they're like kids in a candy store running through and fucking, you know, trying on fucking different clothes and modeling stuff for each other and pretending they're in a fancy restaurant, you know, or like, Hey, we're robbing a bank. Let's take pictures, you know, all of these little things, but it gets like punctuated with these brutally, brutally violent moments that just remind you that. Yeah. You might, you might be having fun right now, but the real world is out there. And it's not just the it's not just the dead people shuffling around that you have to worry about. There's always that threat of other people. And I it's it's really uh, where did I say it? So I OK, so part of the script when I, I've written, it's like heads are exploded. Chunks of flesh are torn off bodies. And we even see a basement full of bodies wrapped in bed sheets with blood coming from their forehead, which is. And and something else I'll mention talking about the legacy, but like that's something that gets referenced by Lucio Fulci in his zombie movie. So like you can see like these little things that other people pick up on. But um well also like you know, in terms of social commentary, 
And, you know, if you really want to get people's attention, you can't be subtle. you got to smack them in the face. you got to show them the craziest shit you imaginable so they're paying fucking attention. And Romero did that since Night of the Living Dead, you know? And in 68, it was like, everyone was horrified that anybody could show them something like this. And then in 78, he just doubled the fuck down and gave you that in color and just, you know, kept doing that. He just kept reminding you, like, in a world this crazy, shit is not nice shit doesn't you know the end of the world is not going to be clean it's gonna be red and bloody and gory and people are going to turn on each other and this is what it's going to look like well that's what um i really like about this opening on both the apartment and also the station like i love that it's very to me a realistic opening in any kind of crisis that would happen i mean and let's just be honest i'm not saying we saw obviously this extreme but we got a taste with how people were acting when the pandemic went down. Obviously, the riots went down. Um, you know, again, not obviously extremists this film. I understand that. But we got, I would say, a little taste of how people would react. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's um it's incredibly realistic on that front seeing it, but the way you know, we always say what's that term, organized chaos, right? That's what the opening feels like, both at the news station as they're trying to get this thing aired, because you know. They have to tell the board what's going on, but you know that one camera guy cracks me when he turns. He goes, "Oh, they're going to turn us off by 12. You can, you can leave. We're done in a couple hours." Like, yeah, um, but the chaos. You know, they're trying to like the guys literally on air being like, "Hey, tell them to shut the fuck up!" And like, there's just chaos, but trying to get information, trying to appear civilized, right? Hold on to that civilized uh way of life we think we we have, right? And then mix that within the opening of introducing our two other characters, the cops with this apartment complex. And then, you know, we see the one guy that's cracking, um, says a couple of choice words that shall not be repeated here. Um, but, uh, you know, he's cracking and goes on a fucking rampage. And if you notice, you do get a good person and um, uh, our character that we follow that tries to stop him after he blows that one person's head off. And he's like yelling at guys, hey, help me, help me take him out. And people are just watching. They're just standing there watching when they could help him subdue this guy who's fucking lost it. And it takes Ken for you to finally come there and be the one to do it. And even looking like, you're not going to shoot me. You're just standing here doing nothing. Get out of my way. Um, well, with that, or the guy that shoots himself when he sees this on, like, you, this the chaos that happens, and it's all very realistic and just all, like, it just immediately throws you, they like said, throws a gallon down. It gets you into this ward. Like, it does everything needed make you go this is the film you're watching like i said holding that mirror up one of my favorite things about apocalyptic movies you know whether it be zombies or climate change or an alien invasion or earthquakes or some shit it's civility is always the first thing to go out the window and i love seeing that happen like as soon as the chips are down people become who they really are and you just it just continues that way i've always liked seeing that but yeah, like when the pandemic hit, we all were a little, I think some of us were like, what happens next? Because <laughs> we got, we did get a little bit, a little taste of what, you know, a 28 days later situation could look like. Thankfully, it didn't go that far, but it, you know, it felt like yeah, it was beginning there for a little bit. Oh yeah, like, like I said, it was just like, like I said, it was obviously not like crazy like we saw in this movie. But like, I mean, you know, when I say with the pandemic, I'm talking about like, look how people acted over fucking toilet paper and um. What was it like? Lysol wipes and shit like that. Like yeah, hand sanitizer. Yeah, everyone went hand sanitizer. Thank you. Like yeah, everyone was like the CDC put out like what to do to be safe, and everyone went got it by 
all the fucking toilet paper. And you were seeing videos of people wrestling fucking old ladies and like children over fucking toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Yeah. We are just apes wearing t-shirts. That's all we are. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Well, I think I think some of that is um some of that is uh is emphasized when uh the first uh scientist is on there and he's kind of trying to explain like you know this is this is what they are you know like they're 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 not people they're just motorized you know machines like you know they 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 kill the people they kill get up and kill like that's all they are you know it's like they're not your parents they're not your family you know um and even slightly later they've got um the uh the doctor played by Richard Francis, the guy with the eye patch. And he's just like, it's like, we have to remain rational, calm. You know, he's even trying, like he's trying so hard to just, you know, we have to, we have to just think about this logically. Logic is the only way we're going to get out of this. And then by the end of it, he's just like yelling. Is that, that, that very famous little sequence where he's like, dummies, dummies, dummies. You know, it's like, he even knows that like we are going to be the we're going to be the architects of our own downfall. It's like we don't have to worry about the dead people eating us. It's like we are going to we are going to eat each other. It's going to happen. Um, I, and it's it's still like I think that's one of the most chilling things about this movie is like it it still has that impact. It still reminds you that like we are going to be the ones that fuck this up. In some form or fashion, we are going to be the ones that either blow ourselves up, we're going to fucking, you know, kill this planet and it's going to fucking just burn us all out, or we're just going to going to all eat each other in some weird way. We're going to, you know, choke each other with toilet paper or something stupid, you know, like, but we're going to be the ones that do it. It's not going to be anything else. You know, we're not going to have a bunch of crazy mutant rats that are going to eat us. It's going to be us. We're going to be the ones that do this. And the fucking cars you love so much, the money you think means something, even the connections to other people, they are meaningless because we are going to be gone and the things that are going to be there are the fucking zombies that are just there doing the thing that they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Like, here we go. Let's just fuck. Like, and that's the thing. Like, that's what I said before. Like, this movie is not subtle about that. You know, um, one of my favorite shots in Day of the Dead is uh, there's a, there's just like a little like wad of money. It's like a couple bills or whatever. And it's like just swirling around. And then it's like, it's just there, just there. And it happens in Dawn of the Dead. Like after the zombies take back over, it's like, there's just all this money on the floor. And Romero intentionally shows you a bunch of money just chilling on the floor and zombies are walking all over. They don't give a shit about it. And he's, and he's telling us, it's like, this is meaningless. This is nothing. It only gives, it only has significance because we say it has significance. It's just a piece of fucking paper. It'll keep you warm. If you choose, if you choose to do that, otherwise you're just going to be fucking cold and dead with a bunch of money wrapped around you. And what good has that done you? I like also, you know, adding to that, the scene where the bikers start looting the mall and there's one guy walking around with a TV and Savini's like, well, where are you going to watch that? Like, what are you going to do with that? And he's like, I don't know. And just chucks it. Yeah. Like for a moment Takes there, he's like, the like, other one. Yeah. He's like, I'm stealing TVs. And he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, one Why? of my favorite bikers is the dude that does the blood pressure test. 
All these zombies are running around and you want to go do a blood pressure test. Like that's, I'm, I'm telling you, like it just, it keeps happening over and over and over again. It's like, these guys think they're so fucking tough and they're so badass and they can even have fun and have a fucking pie fight with these zombies. But like, no, you are too stupid to fucking survive. Even though you think you're so cool because you're toughing in numbers, not going to happen. Well, and that's what I, in general, what I like about, um, what Erno does as soon as they settle into the mall, but not just the bikers, boss, our main characters. If you notice, they they regress back to pre-zombie, back when civilization used to be. You see it that even in the heart of like what's happening, we have this weird need as humans to go back to what's familiar, what makes us comfortable. For them, it's how can we set this upstairs area into essentially an apartment? That's mm-hmm. what they essentially do. They make it to an apartment. And then for the bikers, yeah, they're like, oh, hey, there's this blood pressure test. That I don't care if there's like 10 zombies approaching me. I want to take it because it's fun. Um, I will never you know, understand that guy. Like, literally, they are swarming him. And he's like, what's my blood pressure? Like, yeah. I always assumed he fell into it. But no, he no. Looks, if you oh, look no. at it, he, like, he sits it. down voluntarily. Well, obviously, well, he does it twice. The first time a biker comes up, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, I, I, I lost my mind there for a second. But okay, so... This was another interesting little device that Romero used. So, like, when we first get them there, we find out Francine's pregnant. Yeah. And then you find out just how long they've been. Like, they've been there for fucking months. They've carved out a little existence for themselves. And they've tried to, like, have a fucking life. You know, like, they were even doing the, you know, uh, Stephen was trying to teach Francine how to use a gun, you know, because she was trying to advocate for herself. Mm-hmm. And that was another dynamic that he's playing with, you know, and, um. Galen Ross actually made uh, made an interesting uh, observation about that. You know, she was like, Fran- Francine doesn't just want to be a passive person in this whole experience. You know, she wants to actually, like, be able to take care of herself, you know. And, she, and if you think about this, this was, like, a year before fucking uh, Alien came out. So she is, like, a, a prototypical, you know, strong woman that's trying to... And she's the only woman that survives this and uh peter survives so it's like you know the 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 other two capable people you know because steven was very condescending you know he felt threatened by her and he ends up dying you know like these these little things that romero does um which i don't know if you were aware of this that wasn't actually um there was going to be a different ending so mm-hmm. when uh Romero and uh, Argento struck the deal and uh, Argento invited uh, Romero and his wife to come to Rome so uh, Romero could write the script because he only had the idea at the time. He didn't even have a script yet. And uh, uh, Dario Argento was like, no, you come, you come, you, you write, come on, you come. And he sat there in Rome and he, like a couple of weeks, he banged out the script and uh, Argento wanted to have control of the European release of the movie. And uh, Romero was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, cool. You know, it's like, you know, the market, whatever, you know, that's uh, and he had uh, he had Goblin with him because he had just worked with them in Suspiria. So like he knew that he could get the music for it. Um, And then uh, as they were shooting, they thought they might want a different ending um, and it was going to be much darker. So as we get towards the end of the movie and, you know, the zombies are taken back over, they're starting to climb up to the apartment. Um, and you see Ken Forey with the Derringer at his head. They were going to shoot a sequence where Ken Forey blows his own brains out, 
and Francine waiting for fucking Peter to show up and he doesn't show up, she sticks her head out and steps up and chops her own head off in the helicopter. Yeah. Here's where this gets interesting. Some movie, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, fucking Star Star Wars something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Never heard of it. Um, Argento had seen it and he was like, he liked the ending. He's like, no, everybody live, everybody live. He's like, no, you you do happy ending, everybody live. And so that's why we got the ending that we got. Now they had already gone through so much. (laughs) He had gone through and like where they were gonna set that scene up to shoot that. And so when they weren't gonna do it, they had already made a head of Galen Ross that they were going to use for that effect. Tom Savini being the economical genius that he is, they repurposed it. And that is the head that you see at the beginning that gets blown up. That's Galen Ross's head painted to look like an African-American man, given the hair and the beard and all that stuff. It's even funnier when they were going to do the effect, they were going to try to blow the head up from the inside. And Savini describes it. He said, like, yeah, they're trying to blow it up. And the head just goes and doesn't blow up. Savini's <laughs> like, well, I've done. It doesn't work. He's like, no, give me that shotgun. Real shotgun. When you see that head blow up, that's a real shotgun blowing that head up. And it's Galen Ross's head that he's blowing up. Damn. that That's economically friendly. But holy shit. I'm, real shotgun. That's fucking yeah. Bad crazy he was like yeah we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff like that which you wouldn't be able to do on a big budget hollywood fucking production you wouldn't have been able to do that so like yeah it's reckless it's crazy but you get you get that kind of effect i much prefer the just you know wing it whatever we got on the craft services table approach to filmmaking i love that way more than the formulaic by the number studio approach you get so much more creativity you get so much more memorable moments like that yeah, and you and you get a moment like that, you know. Um, one of the uh, one of the cooler experiences, and I'm sure you saw it, like uh, when uh, when you saw Goblin, was them like playing music from Dawn of the Dead. It's like that shit. Like I hear that, and it's just like when I saw it on the screen in front of me, I just it uh it like moved me. It literally moved me. So like you have these combinations of things, and it comes together, and it just it makes one of the best best movies ever it like you can't have and that's why like it gets released in italy as zombie lucio fulci is like like all the italians zombie movie i'm gonna make a zombie movie and i'm gonna call it zombie 2 so everybody's gonna think it's a sequel to dawn of the dead well how are you gonna make it a sequel to dawn no don't worry about it we'll just show some zombies walking from new york or some shit nobody knows these italians don't know the fucking geography of the united states they're gonna see this and see a city and like okay same movie same movie yeah whatever and that's how they got fucking zombie 2 lucio fulci zombie is why it's considered a sequel to dawn of the dead but it's not a sequel to dawn of the dead i want to reiterate how much i love Italian cinema now and their way of thought of filmmaking. Dude, hey, America, oh. America, this was really popular in America. Let's do that. Like, to, for as soon as we like, probably would have been cool with the downer ending. And then just because of a, a film that definitely didn't get a whole franchise, not a Star Wars, he went, Oh no, that, that had a happy ending. Let's do that. <laughs> I love, <laughs> All just, right. I love that they'll literally just be like, you know, 
Remember, remember Jaws. People love Jaws. Let's do Jaws. Yeah. Like, it's not. Let, it's not. Let's oh. make a shark movie. It's let's make Jaws. Yeah. Oh, dude, alien contamination. Like people like James Bond. People like aliens in America. Let's make one movie that combines both. Or just contamination. Like, okay. trust me, there is there is a whole thing. I want nothing more, and it might fit more with Beyond the Bad. But like, we need to talk more Italian ripoff movies. They are some of the best shit ever. And it for me, it's like it's like a pure movie experience because like, in the case of like Cruel Jaws, when Caleb and I talked about Cruel Jaws, it's like you're taken from everything you're taking stock footage you're just ripping mm-hmm. off total whole pages of script from this you're just fuck it this guy looks like hulk hogan this guy will give asses in seats let's put him in the fucking movie can he act no why he looks like hulk hogan <laughs> yeah if hulk hogan was a fucking midget like no like this is not even the same guy like what no he is he's hulk hogan he's got the mustache and the hair like no that's not how whatever bruno you you, you do you man you you got this, and they fucking he fucking gives us cruel jaws like, well, and, and that's just that that's just in Italians were probably like the most famous for it. But as me and Josh saw last weekend to a first time watch for both both of us, Hong Kong wasn't too far behind apparently with some of their movies because we just watched the Seventh Curse, which great film, absolutely adored it. But uh, how how did you describe it again? All right. Picture this. If what was the first one? Okay, if Rambo. uh huh? Rambo and yeah, Rambo. if Rambo, Temple of Doom, and Big Trouble in Little China fucked and had a movie baby, you get the seventh curse. You're watching it. We have the Blu-ray. I am I am down. That's that's crazy. Not only that, I was instructed by my buddy Ty to watch to watch it dubbed. Really? That's that's the secret sauce. You gotta watch it dubbed. I'm telling you, like I made the mistake, and Caleb didn't let me live it down the entire time we were uh, we were watching. That uh, I had, uh, go on. yeah, yeah, as as in like everything in our in our life. Um, so we started it, and I didn't know that there 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 was the dubbed version, and so we started watching it with uh, I think it was like Cantonese or something, yeah, and it was. In- English subtitles and then I asked Ty I was like hey I was like we're watching he's like no you gotta watch the dub I was like okay but how do we get to it because like I didn't know it was hidden on another cut of the movie so it's the export cut of it is what's dubbed he was like no watch this you'll thank me later I was not let down I was not let down every movie that I described it you will see it oh not my. even kidding. there's literally a dude that looks like a fucking hong kong version of rambo not even kidding and you he's only there to spout off like exposition which is the best thing ever he's like and carry a bow and arrow yeah he's telling plot points as you're seeing them you're like yeah no i just saw that you don't have to describe <laughs> it to me yeah there's temple of doom there's this fucking goofy ass fucking voiced wizard guy like obviously he's the fucking kalima dude like that's him trying to make some weird fucking monster. And then there's fucking big trouble in little China because there's just like these weird monsters that pop up out of nowhere. And you're just like, what the hell is this? Where did these guys come from? No explanations. No. Part. They don't explain like how this fits. There's like, and there's monsters. And you're like, all right. <laughs> the movies you guys just stumble into continually amaze me. It's like, it's shit. I never would even know where to find it. But you guys are like, you got to watch this version. I like this. It's the best way. 
And then, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> That's why you got us, Connor. Yeah. We do the work for you. If anything, this is going to pass down because this was my Christmas gift. Yeah, it was. He he got on a blind buy with Ty's hope and then was like, he gave it to me. I was like, this does sound pretty interesting. And so then we watched it and I was like, this is actually pretty goddamn good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, with my, my visit. You guys pretty much have free reign. So, you know, I'm a roast. Based me. I don't know how I feel about like, that. But it's, from, it's from Joe Dirt. Relax. I don't. It's all good. It's all good. I I appreciate I appreciate your wordsmithing. Um. So yeah, like um, for me, talking about this movie, I can I could talk all fucking day about it. But like like Caleb was mentioning earlier, it's like night. Dawn and Day are like the perfect uh the perfect arc for this like cycle of you know what Romero's trying to do and like and in his overall approach was for him to like look at different eras of American culture and drop them into the zombie world and kind of like see what these people are going to do. And I think with the 70s especially like the late seventies into the eighties, you had this, the rise of consumerism and the, you know, excess that was coming in the eighties and like everybody, you know, feeling like, you know, the world's never going to run out of resources. We're just take, 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 take and do whatever the hell we want. You know, like doesn't matter. And you, you, what, what do you mean we don't have towns with stores in them anymore? We just have a town that is a store in the middle of nowhere and it has everything you need and people just fucking go for it. Um, this movie is one that I have multiple copies of on different formats. I have it on VHS. I have it on DVD in the Ultimate Edition, like I said before. We've got the 4K. And then for Christmas... Uh, my friend Laura got me the Japanese laser disc of Dawn of the Dead. So like, I just need to find either the right frame or a sturdy enough shelf to drop it on. But yeah, like this movie for me, it, it really shows you like what effective storytelling can do with really good characters and have the ability to, like really get you to understand the 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 human condition i guess in a way with like you know what we are going to do to each other the road we're heading down and romero was doing that fucking 40 years before it became a problem and i think like in day of the dead it's a whole other examination of like the military and you know, people trying to hold on to power and what happens when they try to hold on for too long when, you know, the end is staring them right in the face. Um, it It's lasted this long for a reason. Um, and I think the problem he presented to us is that, yeah, like we, we still are the mindless consumers that we, he was showing us. And you know, because it was already happening then, and it's and it's ubiquitous now. 
you know, like our every day of our lives, we're inundated with ads, buy this, buy that. Everybody needs a new phone every two years. You have to have the latest and greatest, the biggest TV and all that bullshit. And we're powerless against that. It's always going to be there. And we we can't stop it. And you can try to fight it. You can try to pretend like everything's normal, but it's it's going to get us in the end. And I think I always come back to this movie. Like, I think I watch it at least once a year only because I enjoy it that much. I can't I can never get tired of this movie. I will never get tired. of this. I don't think I could ever get tired of this movie because it's just that much fun. I mean, we had the chance to see it in 3D and I had to. I'd never seen Dawn of the Dead in a theater. So, like, of mm-hmm. course, I'm going to go and see it. You know, then we got treated when we saw Goblin and we got mm-hmm. to you got to hear them play actual music from the movie. So like it is infinitely it, it's it's absolutely my favorite movie. Absolutely. I think like when like if, if you make a list, if you could and I'll ask you this question now and I'll tell you mine. It's like pick at least three movies that tell people your personality. So like for me, it's the Toxic Avenger. Dawn of the Dead and probably the Beyond. Yeah, if, that I'm, makes if sense. I'm shooting right from the hip. Yeah. So take a moment, gents. Think about that. And think about like think about these kinds of things because I think like for me, the kind of person I am, um, I I I relate a lot to like my my emotions and like my my philosophy on things from from art and from movies specifically and i think it's for me it's a really good way to like relate to people and it's like oh you like this maybe you should maybe you like this mm-hmm. you know and it's something i've enjoyed with you when i first met you and kind of like how your tastes were and i'm like yeah you know what i'm gonna shake you up a little bit i'm gonna throw some stuff at you and see what sticks and and i've and i've gotten some stuff to stick and i like it and you've been able to like see the world differently and see movies differently and you've been able to I, I don't know how many times I've heard you say it, but it never gets old hearing you say, I didn't think I was going to like it, but I like it. Yeah, I always know I'm going to get something weird and unique whenever you bring something to the show, and that has not changed. I, I look forward to those. <laughs> uh, okay, I think I got my three. I was going to say, I'll let you go first real quick. I think I got my three also. Okay. Um. Back to the Future, The Big Lebowski, and The Mummy, nineteen ninety nine. Those are those are my three. If I had to pick, because that covers, you know, Back to the Future is the movie that kind of taught me, you know, if you believe in yourself, you can accomplish whatever you think you can do, and I've stuck to that big time. You know, I've 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 you know with my own work and what I love to do. Uh, the mummy was one of my introductions into horror. You know, it, it's, it's gateway horror, but it still has this horror edge that the rest of the franchise doesn't have that I still appreciate to this day. And then the big Lebowski is kind of helped, you know, shape my sense of humor. <laughs> so as there's me. Okay. Uh, for myself, I'd probably go with Texas, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Jurassic Park, and then trick or treat, uh, the 2009 trick or treat. Cause I know there's, the one from the uh, the eighties that we have done on the show as well. There's trick or um, treat, and there's trick or treat. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a very important distinction. Yes, 
so with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, obviously, really with all three, it kind of represents a different type of horror I tend to kind of gravitate towards, right? You're, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre represents that more extreme, uh, brutal horror. Obviously, Trick or Treat is more playful and tongue-in-cheek. You have fun with it. And then, you know, Tracks Park, like you're saying, it's like the gateway. It's like, it's films that kind of, they skirt that line so you can kind of dip your toes in it where you're a kid getting into it or, you know, you've been wondering all your life if you like it or not. Um, so besides that, also, like, Texas Chance Massacre is being from Texas. It's, you know, it's it's the movie we get when it comes to horror. Like, we have we have this. And it's just a, it's a film I've, go, I've gone back to multiple times. I will be picking up that 4K um, coming out this year. I'm so fucking stoked for that. Um, Travis Park, it's, you know, the as a kid, it, I will never forget being a kid, just the ooh-ah moment. To quote Jeff, you know, Goldblum in the movie, you know, first it's ooh-ah, then it's yelling and screaming. Um, and that movie does that so perfectly. I remember being a kid seeing the dinosaurs for the first time, just going, oh my god, are these real? Because, you know, I'm a kid that doesn't know anything about movies, so mine, I'm like, holy shit, real dinosaurs. And then you know it turns into like the horror, and I'm like, and at that point I'm gripped, I'm excited, I'm in, I'm into the movie. Um, and then in the case of Trick or Treat, like it, like I said, it's playful, it's so much fun, and you know it's the one of the most Halloween films that actually takes place on the holiday. It fills you most, it gives me the best feelings of October, the fall, the Halloween season than any other Halloween film I've watched. I'm. Not surprised at Texas Chainsaw and Jurassic Park, but I didn't. I, I knew you loved Trick or Treat, but I didn't know it was that sacred to you. That's cool. It's one of my annual watches, like every single year. I was very happy, um, kind of like what we got with Dawn of Dead 3D. That um, you know, this past year, or last year now, uh, Warner Brothers finally made a somewhat right decision and mixed a, a sea of horrendous decisions, um, like taking Looney Tunes off HBO Max, apparently, or at least like over 250 episodes. Um. Oh yeah, that that happened, but they're not talking about it. Um. But they made finally the decision to release it in theaters for like a weekend only, and I had the luck to go see it, and it was fucking outstanding. It played exactly as I thought it would play out, which is awesome as shit on the big screen. Like even here, you know, it came out it was supposed to be out in two thousand nine. It's out in twenty twenty two. Still play like it, like any movie that's just good and lends itself to the big screen should. So that was a joy to see that, which and it just helped really solidify its place in my heart. That's delightful. That's cool. I'm glad you got that experience. You can't go wrong with that. Like, I think, I think for us, it is it is one of those unique things. Like you have these, you have these movies that become kind of like a part of you. Um, I know that when. I was in film school and I was really like getting deeper into learning about myself and how to write and things like that. It was like seeing something like Dawn of the Dead or the Toxic Avenger. It was like these were these were examples of somebody like having an idea and doing whatever they could to make it happen. Um, and it it really gave me like it, it lit a fire in me that was just like, holy shit, like you can get this done. You can, and you can be smart about it in the case of like Dawn of the Dead, or you can just be completely over the top and still talk about some stuff with Toxic Avenger. And if I, if I really wanted to like try and like pick apart why I love the beyond so much, I think it's just because it it's unlike anything I had seen before. And it was this weird mix of like, 
like it, it's like a pure cinematic experience. You're taking all of these elements of making a movie and and making it in a way that like it's 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 infinitely like appeal like I won't say appealing, but like it 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 makes people feel something, you know, like you you can't watch that movie and not and not like have a reaction to it. You're either going, what the hell is going on? And why am I so invested in this? And then you just get slapped in the head with a little girl's head getting blown off or, you know, the ending where they're like, what the fuck? Like they're where it's, you know, like all this stuff happened. I mean, Connor and I had a huge conversation about that when we were talking about the beyond and the comics and, and all that stuff. And it's like, you, you are completely immersed in that movie. Like that movie grabs you and it doesn't let go until the end. And then when you are over, it's just like, you're just, you're you're left with something that you you just it's stuck in there. I don't know. That movie is still stuck you in know, my head. Those friends, that's absolutely what like the original Chainsaw Massacre did to me when I first watched it. It just sucked me in, and I was like, "What is this crazy wild fucking movie I'm watching?" And then it's you know you get to the fucking dinner scene and just things just go to fucking like past eleven, you know, mm-hmm. past final taps, fucking levels. Um, and then like the movie ends and you're just sitting there going, "What the fuck did I just watch?" And I think that in right there, those were like a lot of our mindsets are different than most people in that most people are like, what did I watch? Never want to see it again. Just like you do with the Beyond. I'm sure you've done films um, yourself. I, I know a recent example of Sadness. Um, but from, and for me with Text Chains Massacre, we watched that and went, what did I just watch? When can I watch it again? And I can't stop thinking about it now. Like it, it's like it consumes you. And and that's like the best thing to me a, a film can do in general. Like just make you go, what did I watch? And I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You know, I have I have that feeling with a lot of films. I when I was in London uh a couple months ago, I got to see Back to the Future, the musical on on the West End. And something happened to me during that where I had a moment of like I was purely happy, where I was just immersed in the world of hill valley i was watching a musical of my favorite movie and i was in a sea of people who loved it as much as i did and i just had i was like this is amazing this is beautiful i started to get like teary-eyed because i'm like this means the world to me that i get to do this like back to the future is one of those movies that i can't watch as background noise because every time it's on i get invested i get i feel you know i know what's going to happen i still get tense when you know the, the DeLorean doesn't start and then the lightning's about to hit and Marty's losing time. It's like, I know it's going to be okay, but I get my stomach tenses up. I'm like, is he going to make it? Cause it's, it's a movie that just is so perfect and so meaningful to me that I'll, I'll always have that. And, you know, art is very precious to me and film to me is the most precious art to me. So I'm glad we get to do things like this and just like celebrate these movies. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think, I think, for for what it's worth like these are the and these special things you know it's like it's like you want to share those too like it's not like something you you hoard and you keep from people it's like no like you do come over we're watching dawn of the dead or guess what we're gonna watch fucking back to the future and it's like oh, wait i've never seen it like you've never seen it. you know like you have these little moments and it's a great way to connect with other people you know cause like me like i don't go out and i try to make friends with everybody you know like i i usually find somebody that like has a similar kind of sense of humor and i'm like well maybe you might like this if you like this well let's watch that and then it just rolls from there and then you like you figure out through movies 
like how you can relate to people. And that is absolutely, I've done it with Donna the Dead. I've done it. That was one of the reasons why Caleb and I really bonded when I first met him. And you wouldn't think on a ship of 4,000 people that you could find a person that has very similar sensibilities as you, but you do. And then it's like, and then you just start speaking in movies and it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah, I remember when I first got to the boat, everyone's like, oh, you got a film degree? Allred has a film degree. And I was, and I was just at the boat, so I'm like, who the fuck's Allred? Like, I didn't know everyone yet. I'm like, who are you talking about? And then I think it was uh, it was Marion that was like, oh, this is Allred. He, he has a film degree also. And then that's kind of like when we started talking about stuff, and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. To, that's... To... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, to such a degree that, like, anytime a movie was on, it was like, they would look at me and they go, did you put this on? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like, my name just became synonymous with weird and wild shit that would be on while we're fucking in our downtime. That's kind of the same thing that's happened on the team. <laughs> I I met Austin in a very similar way. I, um, I had just gone back to work at the Alamo Draft House and I was in the break room uh, reading The Stand and... Uh, Austin walked up and was like, oh, Stephen King, huh? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and we've been great friends ever since. <laughs> like, the conversation just went like, you like the Coen brothers? I love the Coen brothers. What about Carpenter? Oh, have you never seen the thing? Oh, my God. Well, let me show you the thing. And it just evolved from there. And we're still doing that all the time. It's, you know, I have this team. I have you guys as you know, my best friends because of movies. Yeah, I think the first... I think the first movie we actually watched together was Evil Dead 2013, me and Josh. Because that was that was when I was still living on the boat. Because when you, when you get to a boat, unless you're like married or something, like you live on the boat until you get a barracks. So yeah. like that's where I, I lived, right? And so when he had he had a duty day and I wasn't doing anything, I'd come back from like the fucking rec center or whatever. And he had put on Evil Dead 2013. That's when I was like, oh shit, I love this movie. Sat down and watched it. We ended up talking about Evil Dead, but we, you know. And it just kind of went from there. That that's great. Yeah, I think I think Austin and I went and saw either Jaws or Spaceballs. I don't remember which one it was. That was around the same time, and we went to a screening. And yeah, we just yeah we clicked. And yeah, I click with you guys, and we all click. And it's awesome. We get to have the conversations, and we bring people in. You know, this past year we brought in Colton and Isabel, and Christian, and. I just, you know, I'm grateful that I've been able to use this as a way to just, you know, find more people I want to spend time with. Yeah, no, it's great. Like, like I was saying before, it's like you, you get to have these conversations, but like, why not just record them? And if somebody else gets enjoyment out of it and like they wind up hearing about a movie that they've never heard of, or, you know, you're looking around on YouTube to try and find a way you can stream a movie. And then you're like, Oh, who are these assholes? Why are they just talking about a movie? And obviously I'm making an inside joke that uh, our YouTube channel gets a lot of hits for people who think we are streaming the movies, even though we are very obvious about what we're doing. Um, yeah. So uh, from, from, from us to you, dear listeners, no, we are not streaming the movie. We are just the goofballs that are talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the one that gets the most hits on that is the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. I know, and that just crept over 28,000 views the last time I looked at it. The Snyderverse fanboys really want their 
uh, Dawn of the Dead. They really wanted because they lost the Snyderverse that's gone, and they're like, we gotta, we gotta retain something. I'm so glad I'm not that deluded. Uh, I will say they've, they've real quick, they've shut up on Twitter. I have not seen them like finally come out of the woodwork anymore. Like ever since it became known, like, hey, the Snyderverse is dead. Like it's done. They had their quick little tantrum, and then they just ceased. Wait till like Rebel Moon or whatever it's called comes out. They'll they'll be back. Oh, they'll be back then. But now it's like yeah. Okay, so ratings. You guys know mine. It's on the website. Obviously, I've been gushing about it the entire time. It is one of my one of my tens. Always will be. I was going to guess two. <laughs> be great if this whole episode goes and you're like, I think it's about a six. that would be the biggest like what the fuck what does he cut what does he find a 10 Hmm, i wonder (laughs) but yeah no it's a 10 always will be it's solid movie um uh, it's infinitely enjoyable um it it has a very special place in my heart uh and on my wall um obviously i mean i wouldn't own one movie on like four different formats if i didn't love it so yeah, uh, I, I wear my love for this movie uh, very proudly. Nice. What about you, Caleb? Uh, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give it a nine myself, and only because I just have, haven't grown over it quite like how Josh has. But everything he's, he's pointing at, like I pretty much agree with. This is a great film. That I know we kind of talked about. It's kind of weird how like timely some of these episodes have been as far as like the the social commentary things. We did the Black Christmas 2019 episode on Beyond the Bad talking about independent filmmaking and you know we got that wood episode coming up and i know me and josh just listened to kevin smith talk on the movie crit, which was talk about an inspiring fucking interview right there um but like yeah for me it's an it's an absolute honor because this is great from that that he does what i like he knows how to handle social commentary but mixes it with a very engaging story great characters like both halves work to make a whole and it's awesome when that happens um but then, yeah, the, the gore effects still look great. The zombies still look great. Even if, you know, I know some people might be like, oh, they don't look that great compared to later zombies. It was like the second zombie, like Romero zombie film, Calm Down. Um, they they look good. The gore looks good. And it, I, I've now actually seen this like twice this year, thanks to the 3D screening and watching um, uh, Josh's uh, 4K for this episode. And it's just, yeah, it's endlessly entertaining. Very nice. Uh, it's an eight for me. Uh, but you know, you know me, I'm difficult. Uh, you know, we you know. and you're both of you with your slanderous takes. Personally, <laughs> A is my favorite. <laughs> uh, I love Night, I love Dawn. I think they're both great movies. Uh, they don't really hit me on a personal level because I saw, you know, I've, I've learned to appreciate them more later in my life. And they're great movies, but, um, yeah, solid eight. Love it. I love it. I am I'm very happy you finally relented and let me talk about this, because if not, I was just going to keep bugging you about it until you let me. Um, you, you asked me one time and I said, yeah, I know. I know. Look, I'm trying to have fun and make jokes. <laughs> but yeah, again, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, not, I, not, I, your I, best, not your best effort, but go on. Look, I will cry happy tears tonight. All right. And I am OK to say that. Don't ask me to hope. What? Whatever no. you need. No, I'm not helping you. No, we are close, but we are not that close. I want to record you doing your happy tears for blackmail later. <laughs> oh my god. 
Oh, okay. Well, keep that to yourself. You're coming to visit this household, so just keep in mind that this, this, this is it's like this when the recording's off. <laughs> Good to yeah. know. Straight up. <laughs> All right. Um. So next week, we are going back to Elm Street for a movie that has a notorious reputation as being, uh, for some, a terrible sequel. Uh, for others, it is a very uh, misunderstood movie. Not and half has been growing in numbers. I'm getting there. Can can you let me make my point? No. Nope. <laughs> um, but up. yes, now over time it has it has slowly gotten its due, I think, and uh better understanding. Uh there's also a really good companion piece to it. Well, uh, we're talking Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh I also highly recommend uh when you tune in with us, you watch the documentary Scream Queen about Mark Patton, who was the star of that movie. Um <clears throat> I mean for me, it was it was a weird experience the first time I watched it because I wasn't sure what to, what to expect. Um, but yeah, like most people, for me, it's it's grown on me over the years, and I appreciate it, especially when you take it into consideration with the uh, documentary that uh, tells a lot of like Mark Patton's perspective on what was going on. Um, I mean, not to mention you have a movie with Clue Gulliger in it, and uh, he immediately uh, upped the ante and uh, raises the uh, quality of the movie that he's in. I stand by that statement. This will be interesting for me because I have very little memory of the Elm Street sequels. I've seen all of them, but Caleb and I marathon them all in one day. So I they all bleed together as one giant-ass movie for me. Uh, I remember really not liking this one, but... You were you were not alone in that. There are a lot of people that didn't like it. Um, for me, like, there are... I think I think when you have the context of the documentary, you yeah. will you'll 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 have while you, you may or may not like it. We won't know until we talk about it. Um, I think you will come to uh, come to have some admiration for the difficulties that that production encountered and kind of like what Mark Patton himself went through. That's so I think by the end of it, you will you will have a, an appreciation for it. I love it as, as goofy as it is. It's, you know, it was it was writing in the uh, was writing in the wake of, you know, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. So like it it was it was a financial success. And without that, you know, we wouldn't have continued to lay the foundations for the house that Freddie built. True. Yeah. I found a camp that like I remember when I first watched it, I was in the camp that was like, God, this this sucks. And I did not when I first watched it. I can fully admit that. Um, but over time, it the more I would marathon the series, the more I would kind of be like, "Yeah, it's not that bad." And I kind of started to slowly warm up with the years. And like I said, I watched the documentary, um, Scream Queen. Um, for those who are wondering how you can watch it, uh, you can check it out on Shutter. And if you want to get a physical copy, which I'm always about physical media, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, I believe, still actually has it. Um, so you can get it from them. That's how I got my copy. Um, but watching that and really seeing um, it kind of contextualize in that degree of the filmmaking process and kind of like what happened to, to Mark Patton um, during, after all that good stuff and with the film, 
it really makes you kind of go, okay, let me watch this in a different light. And once in watching now, like it, it, it's not, like I said, it's coming off the success of that first one, which is a monster fucking movie. Um, but it, it's a good sequel. Is it my favorite sequel? No, but it's it's not a like compared to some of the later sequels, not bad at all. It's a pretty damn good sequel, actually. Yeah, this will be a chance to kind of you know see how I've evolved in my terms of my taste, and I, I think the documentary is going to go a long way towards uh, reinforcing that. So yeah, I'm excited for next week. All right, guys. So uh, tune in next week. We will be talking Nightmare on Elm Street two. Uh, uh, until then. If you ever find yourself with a few friends in a helicopter, uh, don't pass up the mall. Make sure to stock up on all of your goods. Uh, make sure to keep a little cash on you because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and don't forget to keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.